Just remember, there's a special place in hell for women who don't help each other. Welcome to A Special Place in Hell, the podcast where an aging Gen X author and a self-hating millennial activist come together to thoroughly and conclusively solve our culture war problems with our combined wit, wisdom, and most importantly, lived experiences. I am the aging Gen X author, Megan Daum, and with me is the self-hating millennial, Sarah Hader. Good morning, Sarah. Good morning, Megan. It is so early for us. It's it's early for us, it's especially really early me. for you. It's six a.m. <laughs> it's, it's okay. So for me. we uh, yeah. we uh, attempted to record yesterday and had a complete technical meltdown. Um, and uh, due to our busy schedules, the uh, the best time to record today was uh, six six a.m. my time, nine a.m. yours. So that's good. That's fine. Um, especially because my voice will sound extra special red scary at this time in the morning maybe i can have some like real vocal fry um all right do we have any uh, i think we decided we were gonna get the announcements uh out of the way at the top of the show because i always forget to make them at the end um you had a great substack piece this past week that people should read if they haven't already yeah um I didn't expect it to do so well. I didn't really know what I was going to write about. I think we covered it a little bit in our last podcast. I just was so stunned with what happened, but I also knew that everybody expected me to say, have with something Salman to Rushdie, say. And, we should say. Yeah, yeah. With, 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 this, with the stabbing of Salman Rushdie. You know, I remember just thinking, I, what is there to say that hasn't been said before, really? But then when I sat down and actually started writing anything, something, I realized that we were having some of the same conversations that we've had, you know, 30, you know, 40, 50 times every time something like this comes up. Um, and the one thing that I thought that was um, something that was being misunderstood, maybe on purpose, was why the terrorists are doing what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, other people have covered it before. Sam Harris covered it before um, really brilliantly on his podcast uh, many years ago now, but I just remember it because it was so well done um, when when he read uh, explicitly from the, uh, like directly from the Elk, um, no, ISIS magazine. Um, and Wait, ISIS just, like, magazine? Is that a yeah, magazine? There was a, uh, there like was a, a lifestyle magazine. magazine? It was... So well produced. I actually saw the magazine. I I I found it. It's hard to find the copies of it actually um, online. Uh, the deep state has just covered them all up. But but it's you can you can get it. Um, and it's so it's like well produced. And that's what's so shocking about it. And I think I think Sam was shocked too when he was talking about it. But I I remember when looking at it myself, it was just like wow, these like these <laughs> graphics are so good. I mean, are there like There's fashion good copy editing? What's in the, the is it a no is it a, no is it a physical magazine? When is it like um, does it is it like a kind of glossy magazine or is it online only? It's, I think it's online only, but I think if it was a uh, if it was printed out, it would be glossy. It was just uh, okay. the illustrations would work better in that. What form. kind of it articles just, but do it they was have? So all kinds of stuff, you know, about our fa- like like lifestyle articles, like kind of the, like how to you know you as a person how to be closer to God and how to have this relationship, kind of standard 
stuff that you might expect. But then there was there was um, one piece that was written for the Western audience because I knew that they were reading it. You know, for the Western audience, it was like this is this is why we hate you, and this is why we do this, and this is why we fight you. And I remember Sam read it, just read from it directly, and it was just so clear that we are living in a delusion when we when we talk about terrorism we are engaging in the conversation that we would prefer to have and not the conversation that is that reflects reality as it is um so anyway i i sort of go off on this um and talk about uh you know the the role rage plays um as opposed to hurt feelings um which is a common kind of western uh way to 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 put what is what is the imposition of blasphemy really mm-hmm. yeah so you can check that out on my substack sarahater.substack.com it's open to everybody so you can just take a look well yeah it's a great piece so congratulations on that and um i hope people everyone who has not yet read it should do so immediately and i'm glad salman rushdie seems to be on the mend for the most part yeah yeah I mean, at his age, you know, on the mend means he's doing better, but yeah. um, he's probably going, he's going to have lifelong problems and at it, it, they're harder to deal with the older you get. Yeah. And I mean, he's just been so active. It's uh, going to be really different for him. But um, mm. yeah, I don't know that I don't know that we've gotten any more medical updates about him, but he does. Apparently he was laughing and joking in his hospital bed. Oh, so good. Good. That's always good. a good, good sign. Um, okay. So, uh, what else? I just want to say, uh, quick announcements for what it's worth. Uh, if people are interested, I have a review, a book review in the New York times, uh, book review this, uh, this past Sunday in the August 21st edition of two new memoirs. If anyone's interested to read something that I actually wrote in actual print, um, (laughs) one of the memoirs I loved and the other, I was a little more critical of, uh, so people can check that out. I have to say that the subhead, just little little bugaboo, the subhead that the editors put on uh, is not really representative of what the books are about. Um, <laughs> but I don't write the we don't write the headlines or the subheads. Um, the other thing I want to say, just quickly, I know I've been going on a lot a lot about this is my um, the unspeaky, which is my heterodox women's community, my intellectual community for free thinking women is getting underway. I'm building the online community. Uh, but in the meantime, we're going to have two retreats in the Northeast this fall. Uh, the first one is in Vermont at the end of September. And I think that's pretty much sold out. However, there's going to be another one in Stony Point, New York, October 25th through 28th. Uh, and um, that is about 40 minutes from New York City, there's going to be the chance to come uh, for the overnight portion for three nights, four days. But I'm also experimenting with something where people can come um, just for during the day uh, to have that option. And uh, you can go to the unspeaky.com to find out more about this. But just really briefly, you know, the concept here is that um, I take a group of women, pretty small group, like the, the Vermont retreat only has like eight participants and the New York one will have maybe, you know, 12 to 12 plus. Um, and everyone brings their own expertise and interests to the table and everybody facilitates a discussion about some issue in the culture and how the, 
how the new uh, culture wars has affected it. So we'll have, you know, somebody will come in and talk about public health or COVID policy or gun control or the arts and the culture. Gender, of course, is something that comes up a lot, but by no means is this exclusively about gender. So I think of these as ideas vacations um, mm. or, or sanity spas. Ooh, that's try a good that. way to put it. You got to do it like luxury. Sanity luxury spa. sanity spa. Yes. Yeah. And actually, my goal is to be able to do these all over the world because there are hundreds of people on the mailing list now. And I ask people to suggest where they would like to have these retreats. And they are all over the place, just Europe and exotic islands and multiple requests for Australia, actually. So um, these two are going to be in the Northeast this fall, but I'm hoping to do some on the West Coast early next year. And um, yeah, um, they're, it's going to be fun. So the unspeakeasy.com if people are interested in that. Okay. Um, any other items of business, Sarah? Uh, well, they can always, um, subscribe, uh, through our Substack. Um, that's how get a- you can get access to the bonus episodes, but you knew right. that. Um, we'll keep saying it though. Yeah. Uh, because we, we like those subs. It. Yeah, we, lo- we love yeah. it. And I'm going to be, so the Unspeakable, my other podcast, is going to be coming back from hiatus next week. And um, I'm going to be moving it over to Substack. I mean, it's still going to be distributed the way it has been, but I'm going to have my own Substack page. Because <laughs> oh, nice, the world nice. not only needs more podcasts, but needs more Substack pages. So I'm going to yes. have my <laughs> Substack page and all my announcements, and um, I'm going to be doing some writing on it. Uh, and hopefully we're going to be able to do some cross cross offerings between this podcast and that one and all that. So Yeah. Yeah. Um, cool. So keep in, keep, 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 tune in. Stay tuned in. Um, and if you subscribe to our Substack, you can also we can also like send you guys a post about, you know, here here's this discount or here's this, you know, here's what we're doing. We can send announcements via the newsletter way, which might be easier for some of you yes. um, when it comes to things like that. So that's another reason to subscribe, even if you're not a paying subscriber. You exactly. just want to subscribe on there. That's how I, I was advised by somebody um, to have the, the newsletter should function as a single source of truth about mm. what we're doing. So as opposed to having 47 That's such different a websites. Tech way to put it. I know. <laughs> I know. But I, right now I just, I have like way too many websites. So if anything, if you want to know about my teaching, my writing, the Unspeakeasy, this podcast, the other podcast, everything will come through the newsletter, the Substack newsletter now. Although the unspeakeasy is its own thing. Okay. So that is its own mm-hmm. thing. But um, my main thing will be the, the, the Substack, megandaum.substack.com. Anyway. Um, all right. So uh, what we're going to talk about this week, we're going we're gonna to focus on the work of a journalist that um, we just learned had died. Uh, we just learned a few days ago, there was an obituary in the New York Times, Nora Vincent, who was um, a journalist, a reporter, really interesting person. She was 53, she's quite young. uh, And she was known for doing this immersive journalism. She she had a book that was pretty well known called Self-Made Man, where she spent 18 months disguised as a man named Ned. 
So she wanted to infiltrate male spaces and, and see what was going on in them without women. So she like joined a bowling league and went to strip clubs and lived in a monastery for a while. Um, she actually followed the book up with another book called Voluntary Madness about checking herself into a psych ward. I think actually three different hospitals, although I'm not sure how journalistic that was because she also describes having a psychotic break at the end of Self-Made Man, um, partly due to what she calls the cognitive dissonance between trying to, you know, being of one sex and trying to live as the other. And she's really interesting case because she was a butch lesbian and she was experimenting with cross-dressing and questions of gender well before... Um, we started talking about it the way we are now. So she was writing about this stuff in the late 90s, early 2000s. And um, the the circumstances of her death are kind of a side issue. She, she had struggled with depression and um, apparently had a lot of mental health issues. And it appears that she, well, it doesn't appear, it was reported that she died at the Dignitas Clinic in Switzerland, which is um, an assisted suicide clinic for people who have re- really serious uh, things like Parkinson's and ALS. And anyway, I, I did not, it's not clear what happened, but if indeed she was able to end her life there because of depression, that's quite shocking. Um, but that's kind of a side point. We're not going to be dwelling on that, but um, I do want to talk about, about her legacy. And I mean, did you, were had you heard of her at all, Sarah? Yeah, I, I knew of her from, I mean, not, as a writer so you know so well um as 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 you you did um i knew of her from an interview that she did with um one of the the major you know broadcast networks abc or mm-hmm. 60 minutes or something and i remember watching it on youtube when i was quite young so this was this must have this came out a long time ago right yeah um, it came out in 2006 yeah so you yeah. were so I, 6 <laughs> yeah, I was uh, six years old, and on on you were watching a lot of sixty minutes when you were six. Yes, so. Um, yeah. So I, I remember I was young, and I remember this was very. It was really interesting. I watched uh, the full the full interview that I found on YouTube, and uh, they went through sort of her process of becoming this man, Ned. Yeah, um, where she would you know she would show how she would change her physicality kind of, you know, um, like how she would walk different and that kind of thing. So it was, it was obviously really fascinating. All this like sex differences, gender differences, they're all very interesting, I think. Um, And so she, uh, that's how I knew of her. Um, I didn't know of her other writings, which are also fairly interesting. We should talk about later. Yeah. Yeah. I actually have a clip from the ABC News documentary. I'm assuming this is the same one you were talking about. That's probably about. the and one I watched. Yeah. yeah, I think it's useful to listen to because it gives a pretty good overview of what she actually did um, to transform herself and just the the way the technology has changed. So uh, let's play a little bit of this and, and keep, keep in mind this is from, the book came out in 2000 six so um the the process that they're talking about here uh probably uh was taking place in like 2004 2005 so okay so let's take a listen her transformation into the guy she calls ned begins with a buzz cut baggy men's clothes and a too small sports bra to flatten her breasts 
She even wore a little padding in a jock strap. I also tried to think, well, what kind of guy is Ned? And get for the know, rest, she enlisted the help of makeup artist Ryan McWilliams. She just came to me and said, Ryan, I'm, I need to turn into a man. The hair as small as we can make it, right? And so they came up with a method of shredding yeah, braided so wool into whisker-sized bits and gluing it onto her face. Women have much stronger nasal resonance as a, as And a then rule. there's the theatrical component. Ah, so just easy Tarzan out on your chest a little. Ah, good. Juilliard voice teacher Kate Murray coached Nora for months on a program of movement, breathing, and speaking. I want you to be the best man you can be. I All to, to incorporate some of the subtle and not so subtle characteristics of being a guy. Notice what men do. If they need to suddenly grab a taxi, hey, they just do that. Whereas women will ask for a taxi instead of demand one. <laughs> do you yeah. ask for a taxi? Yeah, I, I, I say, oh, hi. I'm so hey. sorry. <laughs> do you, when you order an Uber, do you apologize first? I apologize first, during, after. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I never do this. I don't do this. You do this. I, but I don't do this. I don't think I, I go out of my way to apologize, unless I mean it, you know. Unless I mean uh, it, I don't think I apologize. Yeah, no, the constant apologies. It's funny because I was thinking about that because uh, I go to this, <laughs> I go to this workout class that is the ultimate. It's like it's a bar class, the bar method, and I, I call it basic bitch bar because it's got to be the just the ultimate. It's just the most girly Lululemony kind of space. Um, but the way the studio is, you have to like you walk out of the studio and then through this kind of tight hallway and then you have to make this sharp turn into the locker room so there's a lot of people like banging into each other as we come in and out of the door and it's every time you just it's like going sorry oh sorry 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 excuse me sorry 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 <laughs> and just like how you must say sorry 98 times to, you know in, in the course of like <laughs> going in and out of this class and i don't think men would ever say that under any circumstances yeah they would just sort of grunt as they hit each other right. or yeah or they just walk hey. into or like walk yeah. into each other um yeah like i think women <laughs> saying saying sorry is what we say it's almost just like um it's a word like saying um. it's a tick yeah it's, it's a, a tick yeah tick. like if yeah. you order something in a restaurant it's like oh sorry can you bring that water um just when you get a chance again kind of i don't thing. think i do this so yeah, see, this is well uh, you're a, you're a bad well, woman you, uh i am a bad woman yes and just generally bad, but also specifically, <laughs> I don't, I don't think I do this. I don't know why, but I do notice it um, in other women. And I, I just, I think I'm a literal person. So when people say, sorry, I don't, I'm like, oh, you're, she's apologizing. And there's nothing yeah. to apologize for, you know, like I just, <laughs> um, but it was, it was interesting the way she phrased it, the way, um, uh, uh, you know, she she described uh, her experience and 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 uh, putting herself into this body of Ned, Ned who doesn't apologize, Ned who presumes that people are going to take him seriously, and people are going to be interested in what he has to say. Um, and she talks a little bit in some of the other interviews that I watched of her um, about whether or not we should carry this over into, um, you know, women should just sort of adopt these kinds of attitudes of right right of how to be and 
how to present yourself and 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 what you have to say um which was all extremely interesting so there were a lot of conversations that were provoked from her experience that were um all fascinating even today i think especially today because of because of how how much the you know trans and gender discussion has you know taken over um culture or it has uh my brain anyway um i i (laughs) it's 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 especially interesting now yeah and we should say she passed really well i mean she's she was a a a big person she's like 510 um so she wasn't having a hard time passing and you know part of what she talked about it's kind of unbelievable uh she joined a bowling league and she became very close friends with a lot of these guys and it sounds like they just accepted her immediately. She talks about how she was a horrible bowler, but they just, they accepted her, him, Ned into the, into the group. And she talks about being really surprised just by the the nature of male camaraderie and uh, how, how vulnerable these guys were and, and how non-judgmental and just a way that, that women are, are very, you know, women tend to be very, they're very, they can be catty and judgmental. I mean, those are ham-fisted words. But, you know, a lot of the book is just about the way that men communicate by doing things and just being together and talking about things other than their feelings. Um, And that's how they process their feelings, whereas women just talk directly about their feelings. And I feel like that's even the kind of point, if you try to talk that way now you're accused of gender essentialism. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that there's a lot of truth in it. So, so you can say a lot of things like that so long as you say that the ultimate cause is social construction. Right. You know, so you can you can actually have that conversation. You just it always has to come from that one source society or, you know, but, but, well, you can't point to like maybe there's literal biological differences that that you know as a population and i i you know i get so frustrated with these conversations because every time i say something like this like this is how women tend to communicate somebody will say well not me you know (laughs) know. well that's the thing they always say if you say this is how something is they go well i know somebody who's this way and it's like well the fact that it even occurred to you to use that example shows what what an outlier that example is right right and i I just i think we just there's a general there's a general difficulty in talking about differences in groups um it makes people uncomfortable uh, because they think you're making these specific comments. And, and then they, they'll just think about, oh, here's, let me run through my head of all the women I know. And <sighs> yeah, I have the hundreds that I know here, five exceptions, and they just pop out of my mind. And now, hey, what are you, you're making this unfair assumption about those women. You're hurting them because you're going to, you know, think that women are this way, and then you're going to meet this woman, and she's not like that, and that's going to be real bad for her. Uh, and, you know, I, I say this as somebody who's often you know, that example, you know, of, of a woman who's not like that. So mm-hmm. I, 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 you know, I'm not offended if people come up to me and, and presume a bunch of things because I'm a woman, because I know that I just have to, you know, that, that stereotypes are very, they're, they're, they're a human thing that we do to make our lives easier. We can't help but make, well, they have don't come out of nowhere and they don't come out of nowhere. They're actually helpful. Like they're, they're helpful mm. largely, which is why we, why we had that tendency to begin with why would why would we even naturally stereotype if 
it was only ever going to hurt us, um, if it was only ever going to give us an image of reality that wasn't real. It's a mental shortcut. And that mental shortcut is often correct. And so, you know, our brains say that's good enough. (laughs) It's good enough to go in with that assumption. If, you know, eight out of 10 times, uh, it's true that when a woman, you know, comes up to you and says, you know, here's what's going on. She wants support and not advice. You know, <laughs> like if, mm-hmm. like that, that, that's a good, it's a good assumption. It's a stereotype. It's a good assumption too, you know, because that is true of, of most women. Right. You know, and it's, and again, this is not true of me. I, I, I actually want advice <laughs> and <laughs> I give you, advice. <laughs> yeah. But I, you know, I, I'm curious, like this idea that women are apologetic and we we kind of hedge and we don't want to hurt people's feelings and we're more timid that may come from some kind of biological imperative in some way i don't know somehow but the fact is that it does hurt us in business for instance and that may Mm -hmm. be because capitalism is a patriarchal structure and business is you know oriented around a, a more male sensibility but you know, how do you handle the fact that you may have certain tendencies or you you may not, you may be such an exception to this that you can't answer this question, but you know, you're somebody who runs an organization and is a leader. And do you find yourself having to like discipline yourself not to be less assertive than you maybe should be? Mm. Um, Less assertive or more assertive? I mean, do you have, sorry, that was like a double negative. Do you have to, do you have to try harder to be assertive? To be assertive. Yeah. No, Uh, I have no, (laughs) I have no problem being. (laughs) Okay. I need to make you my business coach. (laughs) And I, so here's the thing. I am an asshole and that's just, that's just like, it's just a part of me. And so I have to be like, okay, how do I not, how do I not be, you know, um, rude to people. No, I'm, uh, really? I, I don't have, to, no, I don't have trouble with assertiveness. I never have. Uh, I can be direct and I prefer it in others. Um, but I do have trouble with, um, sometimes being too nice when it, when it comes time to like be to, 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 you know, say, look, you've done a bad job. And, uh, my next step is to fire you, you know, oh, <laughs> like that gives I, I a chill down my spine, even just thinking about Yeah. That. Yeah. Cause that, that part that I don't want to hurt them. Cause I know that not, not just physically hurt their feelings, but like to, to put somebody in that position and to, to then actually fire them. That's very hard for me. Um, so it, it, that's something that I've had to coach myself to say, like, it's okay to actually let bad employees go and you don't have to worry about, cause I'm a motherer, you know? So I'm like worried about, how are they going to pay the bills? Are they going to have to, you know, is this life going to be really hard for them? You know, like (laughs) I'm worrying about them in that way. A lot of men. Okay. But I can hear a lot of men right now listening to this and their bosses and they're thinking, well, I have a really hard time firing people too. It really Mm -hmm, tears mm -hmm. me up. Mm -hmm. I'm just not allowed to admit it or talk about it. I mean, I've had men, you know, be moved to tears because they have to let people go. Yeah. 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 And you know, one of the, one of the advice that I, I now give other people who are who are uh, in the position of management is to you know hire very slowly slower than you think you know take your time hiring and fire fast oh <laughs> um which is it's counterintuitive it's not what you want to do but really a, you know a bad employee can really I, I don't want to get into this but a bad employee can really screw things up um it's it's <laughs> it's not good for woke. you it's not for the organ <laughs> it's not good for you it's not good for them it's not good for the organization um 
it's 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 better to but but everybody has the opposite inclination like when you see somebody interesting and exciting you're just like oh i just want to grab this person and just let's go right because it's a scarcity mentality you think someone else is going to hire them yeah and then and then for emotional reasons you have a very hard time firing a bad person even if they're bad um so i i I give them this advice to try and correct their the natural inclinations that i know that they're going to have and i think women do you know have 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 them more severely so i've had female bosses in the past have you had difficulty with management that was female? I've had difficulty, yes. Yeah. Mm. Like because there were women? Yeah. Well, my first job out of college was at a a glossy magazine. I worked at, well, I I worked at Condé Nast, which is (laughs) the ultimate snake pit. (laughs) Like Conte Nast. There's a reason that it's called that. All right. So it's like, um, obviously the very, very people, Cy Newhouse, the very people, the very top of the organization are men, but it is a female dominated, uh, company as is most of publishing. Okay. Like most of book publishing, it's, it's women. Um, but yeah, no, I mean this, this company and these magazines, these glossy women's magazines, fashion magazines, they were just notoriously toxic and, you know, you're always judging people's clothes and their weight and their looks and, you know, how much money it seems like they have. And I had a boss. <laughs> I mean, this is a very interesting case. I actually wrote about this in, in my last book. She was, um, I, I, she was like borderline abusive. I mean, she was very unhinged. She would like throw things, but that was the culture of the office. So this was like 92. I graduated college in 1992. Ugh, I know it's, it's shocking but um <laughs> uh so it was um you know people were like smoking in their offices it's like my first day on the job my boss was like screaming like megan come in here come in here and i her wastebasket was on fire like her literally her her she had thrown a cigarette into a wastebasket filled with papers and it was a flame and you know so like, you, you were there I to literally it. had to put out fires so that's this job um and so yeah it was super stressful and everybody was always yelling at everybody and there was no sense of this is not how you treat other people it was very there was like a hazing ritual aspect to it um so so that was hard but the funny thing was that this boss even though for the first like maybe six months it was absolute torture like i just i didn't know how i could get through each day and the littlest thing I fucked up if I wrote down, you know, cause you had to answer the phone back then and like take messages and write numbers down. And there's a million things in addition to all your actual editorial stuff you were trying to do. And so like, if I like wrote down a phone number wrong, it was just, you know, like the end of the world. So um, that was bad. But then I had this incredible moment where I yelled back at her. Ooh. She was yelling at me and I kind of yelled back at her in like a funny way and um, she just kind of paused. I mean, she was this very glamorous, you know, she wasn't a, she was from the art world. Like she had been hired to be an editor in this job because she had these like really cool contacts. She had been involved in like Andy Warhol factory scene and she like knew Madonna and stuff like this, you know, (laughs) and and, uh, yeah, I'd be like, if Madonna calls, get me out of the meeting. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but um don't write the wrong don't write the number down wrong uh and so you know i kind of like yelled back at her and she just kind of paused for a second and this smile went across her face and she kind of grinned and she said 
oh, you think you're very clever, don't you? And, and I said, yes, I am. I am clever. And after that, we had, we kind of worked stuff out and we had this dynamic where we would yell at each other, but she really, she let me do a lot. Like she wasn't a natural editor, like, because she had not really been hired for her word skills. And so I was able to do a lot of her work and actually work on pieces and I learned a tremendous amount of that job. Like I, I actually learned more at that job uh, making $18,000 a year, like just the most grunt work, but trying really hard to get my hands in the editorial part of things. Um, I, I learned more there than I probably did for the next 10 years of my career. It was a really wow. good experience. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was, I, I, that's the kind of work environment I, I mean, the Devil Wars Prada was a pretty yeah. was pretty accurate, Ooh. I have to say. Um, but yeah, I mean, female bosses are are hard, and I know so many women who've said that they would much rather work for a man than a yeah. woman. Yeah. Well, I I think that what what is what's difficult with me. I've had good female bosses. I've had kind of tough female bosses, and the tough ones were always like it was it was because they had trouble being direct and honest and i never knew yeah. where i stood so there was this passive aggressive aspect to their aggression you know it was still aggression i know it was aggression it was just it was passive and um and i always felt like I, you know i don't know what to do and i don't know where i stand with you and i don't know and so nora talked about this just a little bit about the differences in you know friendships even and she was like there's mm -hmm. this layer of like she said like fakeness you know like it was that there was something about it that wasn't truly honest and when she was speaking with men she was finding that there was just uh that 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 it was much more raw and direct and 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 she 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 seemed to like that um yeah and yeah I, and i think that those are good qualities in a boss regardless of you know regardless of sex or gender um and i that's why I'm kind of wary of female bosses because I don't I don't want somebody who's going to do that to me, um, who's going to try and like manage me emotionally, you know. But you're um, saying that you. But do you think you meant try to manage people emotionally because you're mothering them? You're worried about them. Maybe, yeah, maybe a little bit. I mean, I, I think I do it far less often because I am direct about things, um, with the exception of the firing thing. I can get more mothery because I just think about destroying their lives. I don't want to do that. And I also think that I just, it, it takes me so long to get to the point where I, you know, somebody has deserved the firing way, way before I actually mm -hmm. find them. Mm -hmm. um, and, and in that sense, I, I definitely think I do. And I, you know, when it comes to professional development, I'm very like, oh, like, you know, <laughs> are you sure you're, you know, I just want to make sure you're learning a lot. So when you're, you know, out of here, you have all these skills and <laughs> it's very, it is kind of like mothering, but I, I think I'm, it's just my way of speaking is more direct. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know if it's like, I've always thought that I, you know, when I was younger, I was like, it, is it like, do I have like Asperger's or something? Like, is there like, is it a disorder? Did anybody suggest <laughs> um, that? No, but people have said to me, I, I mean, ever since I was younger, people have said to me that you, you need to stop with the, don't be so blunt. And wow. but basically teaching me to, you know, you know, couch my language, like soften it, you know, and um, 
take into consideration how I'm going to make somebody else feel when I say what I say, regardless of regardless wow. of the truth of it. Wow, and they would never say that if you were a boy. I don't think they would, right? Like I, I think it was it was that was female socialization for me that that yeah. it was it, w- it was like you have to take into account certain things, and it wasn't. <sighs> It was helpful in the sense that I don't feel traumatized by it because it's it's sort of um, helped. It, it has helped me connect with other women better. You know, I don't want to offend people. I don't want to hurt women. I don't want. I don't want to do any of that. Um, so it's it's you know it's like do this or not this <laughs> like sort of tips. I don't mind them. Right. Um, right. It, it's the support advice thing. Also, I remember I read that somewhere, and it was it was it was an. It, w- it was in the context of a woman saying men do this, but they should do this, you know, and, you know, and, and I was like, oh, is wait, they were saying I that all- men should do something other than they're doing. Well, men, she, she was saying that men, when a woman describes a situation, uh, something she's going through, a man will try to solve it. Um, right. And a, what, a, when a, what a woman actually wants is support and men should stop giving us advice and telling us you know, well, here's what you need to do. So that's mansplaining. Um, yeah. That's, well, that, yeah, I mean, it's a fundamentally, it's, it is mansplaining, but it's just this idea, of, this misinterpretation of what she wants when she's bringing a problem to your door. She doesn't necessarily need you to solve it. She sometimes just wants you to empathize with it and say, oh, this sucks. I'm so sorry you're going to But see, this. okay, I sometimes think that if I want somebody to just empathize and say that sucks, I just should just talk to a woman. Because maybe yeah, well, men just not don't, me though. Just, you, not, not, you. not a woman like me. Because yeah, I'm just going. I'm going to give you, you advice. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be like, well, here's what you need to do. Um, right. Now, I have a female friend who who specifically said that she enjoys talking to me, at, like like that I'm different than other her than, than her other female friends because when she comes to me, she's like, you just tell me what to do, and I was like, if you want that, I mean, if you don't want that, it doesn't make you happy. Uh, that sucks, but I think um, the women that I end up having close to me and being a part of my life are women who can, who appreciate that or enjoy that, um, you know, yeah. or tolerate it at least. Yeah, yeah, it, you know, it's come up for me a lot lately because I'm trying to essentially launch a business with this endeavor, the Unspeakeasy, and it's really out of my comfort zone, and having to, you know, I've just been having a lot of conversation with conversations with entrepreneurial types and, you know, business types and just having to kind of create a structure and have something that, that I have to charge money. I mean, frankly, the hardest thing for me is to say, this is what this thing is. This is how much it costs and it's worth what it costs. And that's like excruciating for me. Mm -hmm. And it's just so basic. I've, as Mm -hmm. a writer, I've had agents negotiate stuff for mm. me my entire life. And that was, mm-hmm. that's part of the beauty of it. I never once had to have a conversation like that. So I've been very passive aggressive um, when it comes to conversations about money, especially. Yeah. And so that's been a huge, <laughs> I'm still yeah. struggling with it. I mean, somebody actually really, somebody gave me a, a lecture a couple of weeks ago um, who, you know, some, a woman who was a, very much a, a business type of person. And she was like, you have to stop being that way. Like, just stop it right now. Like, yeah, stop apologizing. And she was a thousand percent right. I've personally experienced that, you know, because I've, I've hired and fired lots of people and I've seen women come in and men come in. And and usually not always, of course, there are there are exceptions. Um, but but usually the if 
you know, I, I'll talk to a potential like male hire and I'll say, well, here's what we can offer. And I've had some men just say, look, no, <laughs> like I'm not, I'm not going to take this. I'm not going to take this job because it's nowhere near what I want. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, maybe I try to get them to, 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 to meet them halfway. Um, but it's, it's that kind of just explicit rejection usually happens. Um, and, and especially like I, I notice older women tend to be like more experienced professional women. They are much more clear about this is what I need. And if you can't mm. give me what I need, I'm not going to accommodate it. Because they young wouldn't women, have gotten where they got if they yes, couldn't be that yes. way. It's young. It's the differences are most stark when you when you compare young women and young men. I'll have guys straight out of college with no experience, no jobs, can't write, um, who will tell me, look, this is this is not going to work for me. This salary, you know, um, uh, and 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 young women have have a, never make demands like that, especially when wow. they're very very young, you know. So I think that that's when it's very 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 clear those differences. But is that? I think if we could just acknowledge, um, yes, those are you know male traits. Um, yes, those are beneficial in the work environment, um, and we should adopt them. You know, I think that's a that's a healthier way of proceeding than trying Mm -hmm. to find a feminine way to, you know, or trying to change the structural environment of the workplace um, to fit feminine preferences. Because I... I, (laughs) Really? Like turning the heat, turning the air conditioning down? Oh my God, Megan, that... Is that a real thing? Okay. Can I say though, I... I used to go on and on about how that was total bullshit, but I, I, I admittedly, like, I don't really work in an office and I think I might've been wrong about that. I think that maybe the air, the air conditioning is a problem. I think you could put on a sweater easier than you can well, take Also, off you pants. don't have to wear a sundress. Sorry. I don't, don't mean, have I, to I, wear, I wanna, yeah. I, I want to go back to talking about Nora Vincent, but let's just say for a second, because the, the complaint, I know that it's the, it's the air conditioning is turned up really high in the office, because men are wearing like, you know, long sleeve shirts or or jackets or whatever. But then when you're on the way to the office on the subway in the summer and it's sweltering and these women are wearing sundresses and these men are sweating through their suits. How is that fair? Yeah. The subway should change. The subway. subway, (laughs) Yeah. The subway is a, is a, is a matriarchal conspiracy. Yeah, I I just think that there's a lot of whining about about small differences in 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 treatment um that it's frustrating because there actually are problems like right we just we touched on it a little bit that there's a motherhood penalty you know and that's a very real very deep problem um for working women in particular who just have to choose between keeping a career going um, or looking after their child in the way that they would want in their early years. Um, that's a real, that's a problem. And I think that that's one that maybe should be addressed or eased on a broader societal level, like maybe even, you know, like a governmental level, really. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, that, you know, we're not having that conversation. We're instead talking about how 24-year-olds are so cold, in the office. I mean, it just, it, it really makes me feel like feminism, like so many, so much of the concerns of feminism are so uh, superficial, you know, um, 
I'm not, no one thinks I'm good looking because of my weight. And, you know, people judge me because of my tattoos. And, you know, and it was like, you don't. Well, they would say that that's not the whole story. That's just the BuzzFeed headline. They would say sometimes that is the whole story. That's a thing. Right. But, but sometimes there is. Sometimes there, that actually is a story, and then, and then sometimes it's more than that. Yeah. Um, you're right. You're right. So sometimes it is more than that. But I, but I, I feel when I'm paying attention to, you know, modern day feminists, like the 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 the, the very the very like you know professional feminist person who comes in to give the professional feminist view on things, I often find that they are missing the forest for the trees. Um, that they're missing the really deep and significant challenges of a woman's life um, in favor of these these petty workplace, you know, social equality kind of, or, you know, equality is even a weird word, like parity, like they want to, you know. Equity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, these little tiny, it's, I feel like turf wars, you know, but, but, but meaningless um, ultimately. And it yeah. frustrates me because I think that there's some, there's still some serious, challenges to the happiness of many women um and to the you know functioning healthy functioning of many women um and i wish you know i just wish that we 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 change our tack but i think a lot of it has to do with the fact that so much of feminism is working women who are in their 40s who don't have kids (laughs) oh uh you mean the well you mean the feminist discourse i don't know about that i mean i think so i think i think feminist discourse is disproportionately now not not entirely but disproportionately working women so it's like and i by by working i mean white collar woman right like yeah blue collar women are not represented oh, yeah, in feminist all, discourse right. of course yes right so it's white collar women writers like creative types who are represented in feminism professionals who are represented in feminism like Sheryl Sandberg's type who are professional you know uh, very highly oh, successful women right. who are disproportionately represented in feminism but stay-at-home moms who've maybe never had a job are disproportionately absent oh, from feminist see, discourse. Oh, that's funny because, well I mean Sheryl Sandberg has kids. I I think that um I mean the thing is most people do have kids. So uh eventually most of those women are going to have kids. I often have, I have to check myself because I think that I sometimes uh, gloss over significant problems that women have just because I haven't encountered them because I don't have kids. Cause my, my life is considerably easier because I don't have kids and there's just a lot of stuff I haven't had to contend with. Um, so I, I, I'm a little bit myopic sometimes. But- do you feel, do you feel guilty about that ever? Well, about guilty about not having kids. I I uh I feel like I have to make up for it by being like super 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 productive in other ways. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um and mm-hmm. that's that's hard. Um like I have absolutely no excuse. I used to call this a friend of mine and I we used to call this the Georgia O'Keeffe syndrome. So it's like, <laughs> you know, if you're not going to have kids, that's fine. Uh but you better fucking be Georgia O'Keeffe. Because <laughs> you know, but that's uh, that's, that's no in between. Such, that's a lot of pressure. Y- you think? I mean, why can't really? you just okay, enjoy? Right, maybe well, like a look. lesser, a lesser artist. <laughs> no, but just why can't you? Why can't you just enjoy your life? I mean, you have oh, some I free can't time. Enjoy, and now I can't you can... enjoy my life. Please, no, not, no I, okay. I, I am not going to enjoy my life under any circumstances. No, but I I think that um, you know, when you when you become a mother, you just the certain injustices. Well, again, like this is. <laughs> 
I've said this a million times, mother nature is the ultimate misogynist. When you become a mother, you know this better than anyone, certain just biological injustices come to the surface that you weren't entirely yeah. cognizant of before. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, but you know, I, I want to get back to, to Nora Vincent here because there's so much to say about her and she is somebody who I, I do not know. She hasn't, she hadn't been very active or writing or much, you know, in the last several years, but she is somebody who definitely would be construed as transgender mm-hmm. or, you know, somebody who, if who should have been in that camp. I mean, she was very much, she was a kind of libertarian in her sensibility. And I know you pulled up a couple of um, pieces that she had written about, um, about gender issues from like a really long time ago. Um, There was one in the village voice from 2001 um, that was interesting. Um, Yeah. Yeah. She, it was like reading this piece. It says this is, um, yeah, 2001. Um, so such a long time ago and, uh, reading, reading, it's very short. I would uh, recommend people looking, look it up. Um, yeah, it's we'll called welcome it. we'll to the show notes. Yeah. Welcome to the transsexual age. Now this is back when you were, this is what you said. This is the word you used. Yeah. Was transsexual, transsexual was not, the word, yeah. uh, trans. I mean, there, there's going to be some young person who's going to listen to it. Is going to get offended. Um, but well, th- we're this speaking is the, the oldie English here, <laughs> transsexual, the old English, yeah. Shakespearean. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I actually think that's the, it's the proper term, isn't it? Um, I don't understand transsexual. Well, if you but, get oh, a sex okay. change, it is. Right. And I mean, if you're medically transitioning. Yeah. But it makes if more you sense don't medically that, transition, I don't think you should be allowed to call yourself a transsexual. Sure, just, sure, sure, sure. Yeah. yeah and, but we just tend to collapse the two into yeah. just one transgender. Anyway. Um. So she 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 talks about she, she, uh, this piece um, is sparked by um, uh, events in San Francisco um, where they have uh, expanded health benefits um, for transsexuals. This is the San Francisco Board of Supervisors. This is in 2001. And they voted in favor of giving city employees health benefits that include I'm reading directly from her piece now, health benefits that include coverage up to $50,000 for sex change operations and procedures. So she was just, uh, uh, you know, the, she, she started thinking about like, well, what does this mean? And and she had some really interesting things to say about it. And I, um, I wanted to read just directly from her piece. Um, uh, she said, so... Uh, Apparently, they see uh, transsexuals as a special case. What makes them a special case? The perception that plastic surgeries, which are considered mere exercises in vanity to transsexuals or to non-transsexuals, are a means of self self-realization to transsexuals. Without them, transsexuals literally cannot be themselves. Uh, now, this is an enormous leap. It changes entirely what we mean when we say "just be yourself." Um, if you take seriously the idea that a person cannot be himself without the intervention of modern technology, then you have lost the notion of a self altogether. What you are left with is a literally constructed self, a thoroughly superficial identity that someone has built with a scalpel. Um, and 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 she goes on to you know call this uh, special treatment. Uh, she call, she categorizes this whole philosophy as something that is uh you know it it, it 
is upending what we thought the self was, um, uh, killing it really. That's what she, the term she literally uses. Um, and I, you know, I just thought that one, you can't publish anything like this in the village voice, <laughs> anything near this, <laughs> yeah. um, any, anymore. Um, but it, it really struck me as something that really, it, it needs to be said now even. Um, and, and it's something that has confused me about transgender identity. It, you know, the medical transitioning part, um, I never understood, especially when we, especially when there's there, there are plenty of um, accounts and, you know, medical literature about the changes hormones brings like different different hormones brings to you know not just your body but to your sense of self to who you who you are right like your emotional state your state of mind your theory of mind whatever like I mean, there's hormones have a lot to do with who we are and if somebody is taking cross sex hormones at um you know at, it, not not in like tiny bits the way that that a woman might be exposed to if she's taking birth control pills, but in in right. really significant you know yeah. amounts. Um, what I mean, what what we're doing is we're radically changing not just the body but the self, and it, I don't understand what this means for you know the, the the argument of this is this is who I really am. It seems to root itself into the a claim of authenticity, like I am. Mm-hmm. You know, let me modify my body, take all these. Take like I'm I'm a female, but I take all this testosterone now. I sound different. I look different. I also feel different. This is the real me, and you know it just makes a mockery of the idea of what real me even means. If you know you change not only your physicality, which is one thing, and that's acceptable to me in a way that uh, you know modifying your your you know the way that you think um, feels like a modification of. Yeah the self of who you are. Um, so it, it, I, the, the common transgender arguments are often rooted in this idea of authentic self, yeah. true self, inner self. And then it matters, you know, what does that mean? Where are you getting this idea of inner self? Um, really, I think the, the argument is, is truly about what I desire to be. Um, and, and of choice in self-expression and even in self modification on a very fundamental level on a you know uh, on a cognitive level um but it's not articulated as an argument for choice um it's articulated as an argument for an authentic inner self and i think that's because um this is the only way to 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 tap into the civil rights um you know the the, the framework that we have now of 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 allowing people um sweeping um you know, protections in the law, the way to get access to them is to say that actually this is, this is a right. And the way does it say it's a right is that is to imply that it is innate. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to pick up on that by playing a a clip from um, a a segment of Talk of the Nation, the old NPR show where Nora Vincent was a guest. This is back from when the book came out in 2006. I think this is a fascinating clip. Um, This there's a caller and she's interacting with, with the caller. And I think she, she speaks to a lot of what you just talked about. So um, I'm going to play that. Uh, let's go now to uh, Becky. Uh, Becky's with us from San Antonio. Um, hi, uh, I have, um, I think that, that perhaps you've, you've, you've uh, unnecessarily connected gender to sexual expression a bit too much. But aside from that, 
I think that um, that your comment that that gender resides in our in our brains is probably isn't something that we should mess around with. As a transgendered person, a person who's transitioned now for oh two and two and a half years, I found that really probably our only hope for humanity is that we can we can modify our general sense. And in, in fact, I might even go so far to say that that simply regarding gender as being restricted to two to two and not to more than two is unnecessarily restrictive. Well, I would agree with you that I think, unfortunately, the limitations on men were their inability culturally to show feminine qualities. Because when I talk about gender, and I, I don't know if this is what you mean, but I use the word sex when I'm talking purely biologically. And gender for me is something that's much more fluid. And although I say I, I felt that it may have a biological component as well, it clearly has a, a social component, a cultural component that is fungible. And I do think that if we could learn to to I think women have borrowed from the boys after feminism. We are allowed to, you know, even just sartorially, you think about, you know, I can dress like a guy basically and I'm still a woman. Whereas, you know, most men cannot wear a single article of women's clothing and get away with it in the same way. It's not accepted. And so I do agree with you that if we could broaden the notions and share that a man can be feminine and or have feminine qualities and vice versa, that would be wonderful. Okay. Such a great, great quote. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, she's so, uh, she has so much empathy for men. I mean, what's amazing mm -hmm. about this book is that she goes through this experience and she ends up really being a champion for men. And I think if this book were published now, the reaction would be like, oh, well, that's because she is a man and end of story. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm really frustrated by the, the transing of, of, just normal, you know, gender non-conforming people. Um, but she, uh, yeah, she was before her time, definitely. Um, the way that she, as you said, empathizes with men. I think, though, I would disagree with her in terms of, like, the sort of the social communication bit. I think it's just, you know, men communicate that way because it's more comfortable for them, period. Just like how women do the sorry, sorry, sorry thing because mm -hmm. we're comfortable with it. And... You know, it's one thing to say that this is some this is a way that we speak um, and it's, you know, it might be a way we're, that we're comfortable with, that it, we're naturally inclined to speak this way, but it's harmful and here's why we should change it. That's a different conversation than, well, men have just not been allowed to, you know, like, like some social structure like didn't allow them to do it. And now we just open those doors. And if we open those doors, we'll find that men freely you know, you know, weep on our shoulders mm. or whatever. Like, I mm -hmm. just think that I, I think that those are slightly different ways. Does it make sense? Does that make sense? The, the difference, Yeah, I mean, the I think sort of it's both are true. I, I think that men it is it's definitely true that men um, can't dress. It's, it's oh, OK for girls to right. be tomboys, but, but it was never the, the reverse. Um, but is that who's going to punish them for that? For if a man walks around in heels. Well, other men will punish him, but so will women if he's a straight man. Right. Right. I just I think that um, I think that she's saying that there, I've, there's just a larger the, the lane is a lot wider for women. Women can express themselves in a, in a wider range of ways than than men can. Yes. Yes. You know, um, she, she has another I want to actually play another um, quick 
clip here because she has a part in this interview where she talks about male humiliation and just the ways that women often just don't appreciate what men go through in terms of the dating market and having to approach women and being shot down all the time. I mean, it's something that we don't talk about as much now just because that's not even done anymore. Um, but part of the book is where she she goes to, you know, she tries, she's a, she's, she's a lesbian. So as Ned, she tries to date women, but um, she also just talks about how, what she learned from hanging out with these groups of guys, especially the guys on her, on her bowling team. And there was a guy in particular that became her, her close friend. Um, and she really learned a lot about sort of male emotions. So I'm just going to play um, a little, a little clip from that because I think it's germane to some of what we're saying here. You discovered uh, Jim was one of your friends or your your special friend, I guess, in in the bowling team. But uh, uh, he and his friends um, told awful sexist jokes, um, went went to stripper clubs, and you said had absolute reverence for their wives. Yeah, well, another interesting thing that I discovered is that it's not to say that there aren't men out there who genuinely loathe women and will say so, but I found that a lot of this this bluster was just that. And it, what it really reflected more than anything else, it was really a way of covering, especially in front of each other, how much the esteem, not how little the esteem of women meant to them. Hmm. Uh, a lot of people wouldn't see it that way. Right. And and it's not to say that every, it, it's not to make an excuse for this kind of talk, but I think it's, it's partly a way for guys to blow off steam with each other. But it's also, uh, you know, pardon the expression, a little bit of a circle jerk, a verbal circle jerk. They, they feel that it's, it's kind of a way collectively of hiding the fact that they are actually vulnerable and vulnerable to the opinion of women. I mean, one of these guys did it, per, for example, after he'd been rejected, he'd been pursuing her all day and he wanted to, you know, his way of saying it was, well, I'm going to get her in bed. But in fact, what he meant was, I want her to like me. And she rejected him. So then he made this sexual remark that was really demeaning. But in fact, what he was really doing is covering in front of me, the other guy, his humiliation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. What do you think of that? Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, I agree. I, I think she's probably right in that there's a lot of reverence for for wives. Um, that men do feel that way. And then, but, but what did you think? I don't know. I'm, I mean, it just so, so of its time. I love when she says, well, he had been pursuing her all day. <laughs> I don't know what yeah. that means exactly. Like, um, no one does, yeah. right. I, I do, but I do think that, um, I mean, I mean, just when, you know, the way people talk about dating apps, for instance, it's like men swipe on, I don't know what the numbers are, you know, 90% of women, they'll swipe right. And women will, you know, 90% of the men they'll swipe left. So like, I just, I feel like the way that the culture is, the discourse is so oriented toward the feelings of women, empowering women, um, you know, just assuming that men have so much power and agency that they don't need any kind of extra, any, any kind of care whatsoever, extra or, mm -hmm. or otherwise. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I don't think that helps matters. I think that it's actually, I mean, I've said this again before. It's like, if you, if, 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 if making fun of men and talking about toxic masculinity and talking about how you, you know, drink male tears and, um, you know, boohoo for men, if, if that's acceptable because they ostensibly have so much power that making fun of them is, is, 
speaking truth to power, then you're putting them on a pedestal that they might not necessarily be on. You're handing them power. Yeah. So um, I, I think that she was kind of getting at something like that. Yeah. And I also, I, I mean, I also think about, you know, how much of the, this reality that you describe um, has to do with what it means to be a recipient of that kind of empowerment talk, you know, from mm-hmm. the perspective of the person who's receiving it. So if you're a woman and you're receiving this talk, you're you're not insulted or anything. But, it, it, you know, if you're a man and you're kind of getting this language of care, it's almost if you if you also are, you know, this traditional man, you might interpret that as uh, you're saying you're implying that I'm weak, you know, and I'm I'm not weak. Um, does that make sense? Did, yeah. Did I, yeah. Yeah. So I think I think there's there's the, the there's the, there's the culture and it's and it's desires to speak to women a certain way and there's also the desire of, of women to be spoken to um, and to 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 have this language of care. I think we like it as a population and we want to see more of it and affirmations and mm. um, and, and 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 all these things and men. Not only, you know, maybe internally they might also need it, but there's also this element of if I say that I need it, then I'm acknowledging that I'm the kind of person who who needs like, you know, uh, affirmations. Yeah. And I, you know, which is which is unmanly anyway. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So I think they all come together in this way. What I liked about it, about her conversations and her um, writings was that she was just she was able to see past it. Like here, here's here's what they're doing. They're doing this blustery, toxic masculinity thing. But she was able to see past that and see the the layers underneath. Like what does it really stand for? You know, like when he's saying that, oh, she's just she was not attractive anyway. Like uh, he was compensating for the fact that he was hurt because he's made, spent all this time and, time and effort all on day. this woman. <laughs> all day on this woman and she rejected him that's what happened and so this was like a cope right and she was she's very empathetic to that so there's two things there that is unique that does not exist i think um on the other end when we when we discuss and and uh articulate you know why are women doing what we're doing she was she was first seeing it for what it was you know she was she was very clear about um what had happened in that case the fact that he was wounded and he reacted to that wound um, in a way that maybe it wasn't healthy, but it was understandable. Um, and then secondly, she was empathetic to him. Now, it, what I think is missing when it comes to women is that there's no clear-eyed, you know, understanding of why women do what we do. You know, I think there's there's a lot of, right from the beginning, there's cope and, you know, misleading statements and uh, and descriptions of, of you know, uh, the way the reality is that it actually isn't, you know, and, 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 um, you know, right as you get into the conversation an assumption that everything is always due to social construction, um, and everything must be dismantled in a socially constructive way. So I don't even think, you know, right in the, right in the beginning, we're not allowed to have honest conversations about why women do what we do. So that's, mm-hmm. that's number one, right? So we're mm-hmm. not even, we, we can't even have that honest conversation. But the second is the people that do have something close to an honest conversation, they tend to be, you know, and here I'm, I'm breaking 
um, my character and, and, and I'm going to be empathetic to word to, to women now <laughs> um, and say Trigger that morning <laughs> audience. Um, yeah. Um, and say that, you know, the kinds of people who are like, you know, a woman is getting to age 40 and then she hits the wall and now she's mad and angry and bitter. And then she's just lashing out. Like these guys hate women, you know, they're acknowledging that reality. Um, they're not, or an aspect of reality, right? Like they're not acknowledging an aspect of reality. And then they respond to it by being really cruel to a person who's dealing with something, right? So there's either there's no, there's no engagement with, you know, the real circumstances and the real dynamics women are dealing with, or there's this strange engagement with aspects of them and an amplica- amplification of it and distortion of it into this crazy misogynist thing and then and then to and then using that to hit back onto women so right you, you know i, I would like a, an empathetic discussion of you know the difficulties of of being a, a woman in in our in our lives and that's that's also honest you know and i think that that's yeah. that was something she was bringing to men and i was also i was listening to it and i was almost jealous i was like i wish somebody would do this to women oh that's um, interesting well that's what we're here to do so this is a this is a good model. I want to actually play um, just the second part of this clip uh, from Talk of the Nation, where with with Becky, the the caller, um, because it it's she says an, a couple of remarkable things here, and uh, we can talk about it a little bit, and then we should probably wind down. But I think this is really worth listening to. So um, here is that. I, I think it was Gloria Steinem who once said uh, famously that in a way all women are female impersonators. After <laughs> after your experience, do you think that in a way all men are male impersonators? Absolutely. I think I think in that sense, gender is absolutely a false construct, and it's something that you're trying to live up to. The culture tells you what you're supposed to be, and you try to live up to it, and you suffer for the parts of you, the human, very real parts of you that don't measure up, and it causes tremendous suffering on both sides. Can I suggest one more thing? Uh, go ahead. That um, that perhaps there's a whole third range of, or fourth or fifth range of general expression that really hasn't had the uh, opportunity to, to fully develop that is not necessarily defined in terms of maleness or femaleness. What would you What would you call that category? Or is it well, a category? Well, first of all, I would I would say that one of the great enemies of of human of human expression is binarism and that we're, we're locked into one or the other. So um, I would have to say, being a little self-promoting, that that transgenderism is is probably at least a, a good uh, proto-position to take with respect to developing an alternate general expression. Well, I would I would concur in the sense that as an androgynous person, uh, I think androgyny is is a wonderful place to be, and I and I I think you know the, I think the culture has embraced that to a certain degree in film and so on. But I think it it's it would be a nice option to exercise. Becky, thanks very much for the call. Sure. And finally, uh, Nora Vincent, do you miss Ned? Not at all. I do not. I am so glad to be rid of him (laughs) and so happy to be a woman. I have to say, I absolutely love it. I think it's a privilege. Oh my gosh. That kind of privilege choked me up. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I have to say, I, this is, this is the program talk of the nation. It was hosted by Neil Conan went off the air in 2013 uh, Neil Conan actually passed away just about exactly a, a year ago. I, I was listening to this and I, it brought tears to my eyes listening mm. to this program. Mm. They just don't make programs like this anymore. 
it just mm-hmm. the the level of civility of of insight the production quality the good faith discussions you know that's why we loved NPR mm-hmm. <laughs> right mm-hmm. i mean well i would i wouldn't know <laughs> this you is would not know, the like, NPR uh, i recognize I, that's right and you know sometimes i go around thinking like god were we just all like like just suckers like were we just listening to this stuff because it was all we knew and we we were just kind of going along with it and it was the soundtrack of our lives but no i mean this programming was such high quality and it was mainstream this was well i mean it wasn't it wasn't you know the abc news you know you can tell the difference between the first clip we heard and then the, the rest of them but it was you know the air that that we breathed and this yeah. was smart people talking to other smart people. And, you know, th- this show in particular, I was actually a guest on it several times. Um, and Neil Cohn was just wonderful host and the callers are smart. And, and you got to also remember that this is, these shows are live. They're happening live. Those, there are, mm-hmm. sc- you know, producers, they're screening those callers, picking up the phone, finding out really quickly what kind of person this is, what they're going to say, putting, patching them through, hoping that it works out. And, it's we just don't have that kind of media experience anymore. And mm-hmm. I, I was really caught by surprise just listening back to this. I actually um I, I, I actually just kind of started weeping. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's my there vulnerability some, for you. Yeah. <laughs> Megan, are you uh wait, what am I supposed to say here? Now that you're supposed to say I'm really feelings. sorry that you're oh, that so you're sorry. The, that the before times are gone. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm here for you. Thank you. Um, but were you surprised listening to this these clips? Like, how did they sound yeah, to your yeah. ears? No, they were. They, it was a really interesting um, conversation. The kind of conversation that I think maybe the good podcasts I listen to now have. Yeah. Uh, but not something I would expect from NPR. You know, something I you know I expect when I listen to you know Barry Weiss's podcast, but but not something I've even. In any longer hope I can get from anything, honestly, anything progressive aligned. It's just, it's boring now. I don't want to hear uh, different shade about, you know, v- different shades of gray or whatever. And even, and even in a very, that it's in a very, very, there's a very small um, space that they can occupy and they try to show as much diversity as possible in this tiny space. Um, but they can't go anything beyond that. Um, and, and you can, you can feel it when you're listening to these kinds of programs. I stopped tuning in years ago now. I don't think, I mean, even if it it got better, I wouldn't have, I I wouldn't even know because yeah. Yeah. I mean, when I do (laughs) once in a while, when I do, um, listen in for, for one reason or another, I am, uh, consistently disappointed, but I never knew this NPR. I, you know, never knew this discourse, um, and you know, maybe I've been robbed of something and now I, I, I should be more oh, angry. You've been robbed a... of a lot, mm-hmm. Sarah. Okay. Considering yeah. should... your age, you've been robbed yeah. of, of a whole, a whole world that, uh, that was better. No, I, you know, I'm wary of, you know, being falsely nostalgic, but, um, well, yeah, I, I, just... I think you can have the conversation. You just can't have them there anymore. Right. So maybe like, maybe it's just that, the people that can host this have to be different people. So maybe I'm not being robbed entirely. I yeah, just have and they to tune actually, in to right. and Barry you can Weiss have, and not this. Yeah, I mean, and they, th- this show, I think it went off the air because I think they were just phasing out talk 
talk format programming. But yeah, you can have people calling in with like call in the app, right? So, you know, I've heard Substack journalists having conversations with callers in this fashion, but it's just not the same because it sounds crappy and there's no producer and there's nobody screening these callers and you don't know what they're going to say. And it just doesn't have the, the, the sort of listening experience that, that these shows had, like these shows managed to, to have like very high quality, um, just intellectual content, but also high production quality, you know? So yeah. anyway. I, I mean, I don't even, you know, think that that, that kind of, so a, a thinker like her, um, I mean, like she, Nora. like Nora, um, I almost said Ned, <laughs> like, like <laughs> Nora, um, a thinker like Nora, I, I feel today she would be, you know, one of us like heterodox people. Yeah. Because I've, I've read so, I've read so many of her pieces and she has very, the kind of contrary, like the kind of takes you wouldn't expect from, you know, an LGBT. Oh, she had a crazy know, piece about abortion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I liked it. I think. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was very interesting. Um, and you guys, we, we'll leave a link to it in the, in the show notes, which the links work on our sub stack. They don't, I don't think they work if you are on, uh, no, uh, the Apple podcast links do, Apple do not work. Okay. Uh, yeah. So you have way. to go to our, you go have to go to our uh, Substack to get those links. Yeah. Um, but we'll link to it. It was just, it was so um, like c- cutting in its, in its language. She was pro life really. Um, although she didn't make it clear whether she was entirely pro life. Um, but she certainly thought that the um, total pro choice, um, you know, pro-choice at any cost kind of a perspective yeah. was uh, immoral, really yeah. um, selfish, and she was clear in her in in her language there. Um, very, very interesting. So, someone like her, you know, she does she, you know, she exists in this little heterodox space. Even if there was somebody who could, you know, some young woman who could become a future Nora, I think if, if she grows up in this this new media environment, she's going to learn to suppress those aspects of herself, mm. uh, you know, to suppress her, you know, dangerous thinking um, because it, it it is so costly to be us, right. To, 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 to say, you know, I'm not going to engage in traditional media in this way anymore, or I'm not going to re- depend on it. Um, once you start saying these things, you're not welcome. You're not, you're, you're, you're never going to get, um, uh, invited to certain shows, yeah. you you know, uh, and you're not you going to get invited that. on NPR, right? Right, and that's a huge, you know, that, that that's a for somebody who actually wants to be a writer or a thinker, um, to say that this enormous part of the media landscape, you know, the, actually the part that can give you a a guaranteed income for the most part, um, this is unavailable to you, um, is is. Of course, it's going to have effects on producing talent, you know, not just platforming talent that exists, but inculcating this kind of fearlessness and, you know, dynamism in young, interesting, smart people. I think we're doing the exact opposite. We're telling them, you know, stop thinking this way. And I, I, you know. My, I've kind of a old school perspective on like you know the the great virtues like like courage. I think is something you can you you can build over time. Like you can it's a it's something you exercise. You get comfortable with it. You get comfortable with risks. Um, uh, you get comfortable with 
feeling uneasy, you know, when you breach topics that even you that even make you uncomfortable they're challenged deeply held beliefs this is this is a a a an act that you get more and more comfortable with as you do it more frequently right i think we're, we're teaching young people the opposite you know they're coming into yeah. this media landscape we're saying don't yeah, do this no. don't exercise and that's why this. i mean i wanted to be a writer because i wanted to say the surprising things like that, that was why it's you funny, that, got into it. That's the exact opposite. That's what I would like. My perspective perspective of writers is people who <laughs> people who don't think outside the box. You oh know, my people God. who. <laughs> so what do you think? What's the point of writing? I don't know. I don't know. Um, <laughs> you know, I so it, it, even the label writer. Like well, now that I've, I'm actually doing a little bit of writing, I'm sort of new to this to this thing to this this act of writing. Um, I was very hesitant to take on that label, even oh as it become, started to become more and more, because I, I'm like, what does this mean? You know, this means I, I write things for the New Yorker that everyone's heard a hundred times. Oh. Um, I wanted to be like someone who also thinks interesting things. And my perception of writers was somebody who doesn't do that. Oh my God. That's insane. That's okay. So that, that I feel, it feels like that to, hurt you. That, that's a whole no. I it hurts <laughs> me. I'm hurt for you. I that that this is like a subject for a whole other show. I mean, I became a writer because I wanted to be like Christopher Hitchens and Joan Didion and Tom Wolfe, and it's just like the complete opposite of what you're saying. Um, anyway, well, we've been we've been going a, a, a while now, so we should probably. Um, wrap this up. I do. I will save for the bonus content. My, uh, I had dinner with Nora Vincent uh, one time. Uh, we had a very long and um, uh, very stimulating and uh, satisfying, expensive meal together. So maybe in the <laughs> bonus content, I'll tell you about that. Um, but is there anything? Uh, is there anything else you want to say for this? Uh, this no, I think. I think we. This was a. Interesting. This was different, huh? Than our, our our normal stuff a little bit. Um, yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah. But anyway, I'm like, sorry that we. Yeah. yeah, I'm sorry that we. It's very sad that we lost Nora, and it's really sad that she hasn't been active these last several years. I would have loved to know. I would have loved what to hear. Had yeah. To say. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, you. You definitely. When I when I went back and I read some of her writings and feel like I like felt like I started to know her as a writer. Um, and as a thinker, I, the loss was, uh, very evident. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, what else? Rate us and review us. Rate us and review us, please. If you liked it, um, save the, the critical comments for the sub stack, you know, don't put them on the, don't, don't don't, make any critical comments. Well, don't make them on the Apple. You mean the pressing sure. comments? Oh, would you mean critical, like important comments, or critical, like as in, I meant criti- on criticism. the Apple Podcast reviews? Don't don't leave any oh, yeah. any mean notes. Okay, no, no. they're going to hurt our feelings a That's lot. That's a big corporation, women, so and don't. you just want to yeah. Don't don't try to be. Don't this yeah, is not the place the, to get your the Substack is uh, the Substack conversations are um, as usual so interesting so amazing you definitely want to be part of this community so that's another reason to subscribe and yeah I think that's it I think 
Are we, yeah, are we and we'll be to on it? The, yeah, and we'll be respond. I need to be better um, about responding on the Substack comments. You, I know you responded several times this past week, but I'll, I'll I get tried. Back on but that. There's so much, and I, I'm, I'm like absorbing it, and I don't have time to come up with. I feel, I feel a lot of pressure to say something don't. smart, you know. And I just sometimes I don't have anything smart. But to sometimes, say. sometimes they just <laughs> ask us questions. Oh yeah, yeah, that's true. So okay. um, yeah, I'll just and if, you know, that. yeah, and you guys also tell us what you want us to talk about in the in the bonus content because the bonus mm-hmm. the paid subscribers have their they they have their own comment thread because they're commenting usually on the bonus content version of the podcast that's mm-hmm. up there. Mm-hmm. So, um, okay, okay, so see you uh, see you in hell. We're taking it. Right? See you in hell. Yeah, yeah. See yeah in screw hell. that. Definitely see you in hell. Okay. <laughs> okay. Bye. Bye. Just remember, there's a special place in hell for women who don't help each other. (laughs) 